Hello and welcome to the show that proved impossible to plan, so we're just going to wing it. On today's show, we try to make sense of the Easter fixtures. Who's going up? Accrington Stanley. Who's going down? Sunderland. Whose season effectively ended on Good Friday? Southend United. We've got Sam Parkin in the studio. Matt Stanger is here too. Joe Crilly is here. We've got the Fan League and we'll just make up the rest as we go along. It's time for the Totally Football League Show in association with William Hill. Hello, gentlemen. Sam Parkin, you're back. Ian, how you doing? Uh, very well, thank you. How Good. was your Easter weekend? It was very nice. I had a few days um, sunning myself in the west of Scotland last week and uh, back into it this weekend. Three games. Lovely Another stuff. one tonight. Oh, really? Where, are you, where are you going tonight? Craven Cottage tonight for uh, big one. Leeds. Yeah. yeah, very, very big one. Matthew Stanger. Good morning. How was your weekend? Uh, it was good, thanks, yeah. Well, we, but, sp- we spent a little bit of it together, didn't we? We did. We learned how to play Call of Duty. Very uh, important show preparation. Yeah, it was great. Um, definitely the zombie mode, my favourite mode. Absolutely terrifying. Joe Carilli, Call of Duty man? No, I'm more a, a sports game. I don't, I don't like the, the aspect of first-person shooters where the gun's literally coming out from, from, like, your, nose. from your nose. Yeah, yeah. I I, And then I, I start to panic and the, the, the gun goes top corner, bottom corner <laughs> and just anywhere except where I need to be pointing it. OK, you can definitely come and play with us. Um, we've got so much football to get through that we basically have dumped all of the usual fixtures and we'll just try and go for it top to bottom. And there really is only one place to start and that is Sunderland. Uh, they travelled to Derby on Good Friday and as always, this show called it perfectly. <laughs> Derby County Sunderland, uh, we could probably speed up this process by saying, is there anyone who thinks anything other than 4-0 to Derby? 5-0. 5-0. Caroline? Uh, can Sunderland keep everyone on the pitch? If they can, I think it'll be tight 45, and I actually think it'll be closer than we might think, so 7-1. Oh, no. Derby. <laughs> Derby haven't won in seven games. I mean, so a fixture like this comes along. I think a draw might... Might happen. Don't look at me like that, down and away from me. A draw is possible. Well, it probably says it'll say everything about Derby's promotion hopes, won't it? Because if they can't beat Sunderland, if they can't beat Sunderland, they deserve to be punitively relegated. Oh, Matt, we we didn't really call that one, right? Did we? No, and we probably should have considered that Derby were two months without a win before completely writing Sunderland off, but they did get a massive helping hand, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, there was one bonus here, and it's very rare in my life that this happens, but right before I had um, uh, only a couple of quid left in my, in my you know, gentleman's gambling account, and, and for a laugh I whacked it all on Sunderland. <laughs> now I've got much more than a couple of quid, so, you know, there were winners all over the place. Yeah, and uh, that was the only bet I think you got right all afternoon. It so. really was. It really was. Um, Sam, what, what the hell happened? Where did that come from? Well, I think Derby have obviously had a really difficult time. Um, I saw them at, at QPR recently and they looked really low on confidence. So I don't think it's a complete surprise. Sunderland have had the odd victory when we've, we felt they may be turning things around only to lose the next few. And obviously that's how it's proved even after that result against Derby, given what happened against Sheffield Wednesday. But, oh, yeah. Um, a glimmer of hope and uh, they looked a little bit unfortunate as well against um, Sheffield Wednesday yesterday there was a a terrible decision from the referee we'll come to that in a a minute Um, but Gary Rowett after the Sunderland game uh, he said uh, I'll be the first one to stand up and say we've got the ability I'll be the first one to stand up and say we've got the experience and I'll be the first one to criticise people that suggest we haven't got the bottle when the chips are down 
After Friday, I'm questioning that myself, and I don't know if I can stand up and keep eulogising about the players. Um, they were a little bit unlucky at the start, because they did actually dominate the first 10 minutes. Um, but the, the one thing that really stood out was uh, Chairman Mel Morris and his decision to go in with the fans for that game, because he must have thought, if ever there's going to be an easy three points and a chance to mix with the supporters, today is that day. Absolutely, and at half-time it already looked like he was trying to find his way to the exit and uh, get back up into the safety of the executive suite. But the Derby definitely helped Sunderland in the way they just imploded, really. I mean, Craig Forsyth had probably his worst game of the season, heading in and then giving away that terrible penalty in the second half. And Richie Keogh as well. Oh. And you talk about experience, you don't expect players like that to just present chances to to the opposition so easily. Yeah, five changes for the Preston game yesterday, including the removal of Keogh. And uh, uh, I realize I've been saying Rowett uh, row instead of Rowett. I'm sorry, I keep getting that one wrong. Um, Rowett said afterwards that his captain will lead in a different way, you know, from the bench where he can't cause any damage. <laughs> um, they did win that game. They weren't very good though, were they, Sam? Did you see that one? Yeah, I've seen that. The, a lot of the highlights and um, yeah rode their luck obviously Preston missed the penalty but I it's a huge win for them they needed a yeah. win and no matter how they got it and obviously he made a number of changes still feeling sorry for Keogh after that playoff pass that he presented to Zamora those years ago so he's got another one to add to his uh, his calamities I suppose but um, yeah he's, he's a good player Keogh it'll be interesting to see how he responds and I think for, for Derby having got that gritty kind of 1-0 victory yesterday a must win for them really they've got to back it up I think it's Bolton the next game for them so that is enormous because I am still thinking and Derby fans will probably shoot me down but they are the ones that Millwall etc will be looking at and thinking they are going to fall away there's a chance there Um, poor old Sunderland though they do that then the the manager, Chris Coleman, he, he writes an article on the club website and it is stirring stuff. It's like, I know we've been terrible all season. I know we don't deserve this support, but by God, we need it now. So this time on Bank Holiday Monday, get yourself to the stadium. I was reading it. My nipples were erect. You could cut <laughs> diamonds with my nipples just reading Chris Coleman's words. And they go out there and by all accounts, they do put a shift in. And they lose 3-1 to Sheffield Wednesday. And that, I think, really sums up Sunderland. Um, Though summing it up rather better is Gav1879 from Roker Report. He says, I know we shouldn't say it's over until it truly is over, but I can't sit here and pretend that I think we can stay up. We're quite literally relying on a miracle if we're going to stay in the championship. I don't think it's coming. Not when you look at who we have left to play. It's sad but true. Today's game was a massive opportunity for us to keep ourselves in the race, and we absolutely blew it. But Sam, they were really unlucky with that penalty shout, weren't they? Well, even the Sheffield Wednesday manager said it was a, a stonewall penalty. And yeah, I've, I've seen it last night and definitely Bannon went down. He's almost uh, peering around <laughs> looking at the ref as the contact's made. So yeah, really unfortunate. And it's a game that you would have looked at Sheffield Wednesday on the beach or whatever the uh, the phrase is going to be this season. And it's a difficult game when you're coming up against teams like that. And and obviously the, the first goal is important in any match and especially a big arena like the stadium of like that anxiety spreads to the players. So very disappointing because just when they look like they're turning the corner, they succumb to another bad defeat. Matt, is there any hope for Sunderland? Can they get out of this? I mean, the gap isn't that big. It's just they kind of need to win some. They play Fulham and Wolves in the last two games of the season, so I think it is almost all over at this stage. But the surprising thing about yesterday's game against Sheffield Wednesday was after that 
what confidence boosting victory against Derby, where finally maybe a, a bit of a ray of light at the end of the tunnel. The defending was as dreadful as it's been all season. I mean, Lucas Zhao was given so much space to, to tap in the first, and then uh, knew who unmarked as well for for Sheffield Wednesday's third goal. And you look at players like John O'Shea, who. Really, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it's been a terrible time for, for him during his spell at Stadium of Light, but his experience, it should be telling in these sorts of situations and they collapsed yet again. Absolutely. And talking of experience and indeed quality, Middlesbrough, um, on Friday they're playing Wolves and they've got the better part of half an hour against nine men. They're 2-0 down, but you would kind of expect a team to get two goals against nine men and they couldn't do it. I mean, we watched that one. What, what went wrong for Barra there? They didn't shoot. They uh, <laughs> they just relied on trying to get it to Traore in wide positions. And Traore has been sensational, hasn't he, in 2018? Yeah. And under under Tony Pulis, he's he's really come on. But they were just trying to find him on on the wing uh, every single time they had the ball, and he was doing his best. But they needed players coming in around the edge of the box. And you saw Bamford. I mean, it was just a simple bit of movement, and he slammed that ball in to make it two one. And you know they, they put the pressure on again for the last five minutes. But yeah, they didn't basically try and uh, take take efforts towards John Ruddy's goal and, and Ruddy's someone who's made a few mistakes recently as well it was worth trying to test him I thought Wolves defended brilliantly um, that was a really superb backs against the wall performance but but then Borough go to Burton and they've got to beat a team like Burton surely well, you would have expected them to win I mean definitely they've been the team that I've been looking at for the last probably six weeks and, and expecting them to go on a really good run and cement their place in the playoffs with no problems at all so you can understand them losing at home to Wolves even with the, the circumstances that went on but yesterday just looked like they weren't at the races I think Tony Pulis in the end was delighted to escape with a point and Asamba Longa has been such a big player for them in the early part of the season. First goal in 2018 yesterday, little tapping off the bar and um, he'll be pleased because they'll need him in the next few weeks. But Bamford's in a, a rich vein of form. So yeah, I, I expect Middlesbrough to be there and be very strong in the playoffs as well. Someone else scrambling for a point. Cardiff denied their ninth successive victory. Neil Warnock going back to Sheffield United uh, and it took a 91st minute equaliser for them to get a point. However, they have got Wolves on Friday. And they are eight points clear of third place Fulham with seven games left to go. No one, surely to God, no one called this at the start of the season. Can you see Cardiff hanging on to that automatic spot? Oh, de- definitely at this stage. I think uh, eight points for a side that hasn't lost in 13 matches is an enormous gap. And even though they've got Villa and Wolves to play in the next two games, uh, they'll look back to August whenever they beat um, Aston Villa 3-0 and they won 2-1 at Molyneux. And even though Wolves and Aston Villa were two different sides back then, I still think that'll give them a lot of confidence that they can go and do the job against them again. Uh, Sam, we're big fans of the way that Fulham play here. Um, I'm still dubious as to whether they can get second. I think it's enough of an achievement that they've got back in the playoffs. Um, They beat Norwich over the weekend. They have Leeds tonight. Can you see Fulham sneaking in? To the automatic, mm. going to be really difficult now. I think Matt just summed it up really. If uh, Cardiff were stuttering and missing a few players, then maybe they'd be a glimmer for Fulham. But they're going to claw a little bit of the gap back tonight. But I think Cardiff are in such good form, and it just shows you, you know, that strength, that grit last night. And Neil Warnock side, you know, there's not many two, there's not too many teams. I don't think in the top six, the top eight in the championship that would be second best for large parts of a game like that poor conditions at Bramwell Lane and still get something out of the mm. game so that's why Cardiff are going to be there in, in my opinion but yeah Fulham brilliant to bounce back at Norwich because they had the disappointment of the 2-2 against QPR when they were coasting and those two points are, you know could be the difference really yeah, uh, I, did from them making it. I did feel for Sheffield United last night 
Yeah, that's two games uh, in a row where they've, they've thrown away the lead and uh, obviously Chris Wilder would be disappointed about that. But I think that game summed up Cardiff's strengths, really. The fact that in what was a pretty tight battle and, and Sheffield United played well, they still get the ball into the box and uh, you know towards the end they're just getting it in there and Pilkington gets that knockdown for the volley. But that's you know that's how they play to the strengths. And again, it probably will be tight against Wolves, but you could see them even edging that. It's a good point, really, because the goal is just... <laughs> You see it so often in the lower leagues, but maybe not in the championship, just keeping things alive in around the 18-yard box. You know, just an aerial battle, keeping it in the final third, winning header after header. Someone gets an opportunity on the end of that. And fortunately for Cardiff, it was Pilkington who's got quality uh, to steer home the volley. So that's Neil Warnock, really. It's so important, those fine margins, just keeping it alive. Well, that's always been the the thing with Cardiff this season. They they just seem they're fast, they're strong, they fight. They have all of the the kind of qualities that you immediately associate with the championship, even though the standards risen so high. Whereas Aston Villa, on the other hand, certainly have all of the technical qualities, but it's three games without a win. They're very flat against Hull. Yeah, it looked very flat. A game of few chances. Um, they're going to have to have to bounce back. I mean, we'd all written them off after a couple of months of the season, and Steve Bruce has done a, a fine job. And you know, <laughs> at times it's um, it's very regimented. The defensively very organised, but they've had players at the top end of the pitch that have got them goals. You know, in the last few months, they've had some really standout performers, Snodgrass, Adoma, people like that, that have been coming up with a good. So it's an all-round good unit. I see in them again being a, a great shout through the playoffs, certainly. One other team who we thought playoffs at the very least were Bristol City, but they've only won three league games in 2018. Uh, you saw them yeah. at, the, at the weekend. Startling, really. It, it really was. I was expecting to go there, given they'd got a late point against Barnsley and probably have to win their home games to cement themselves in the playoffs. To be a, a real atmosphere yesterday, you know, I thought it was going to be a great um, support from the home fans. It was very flat from the word go, and, and Lee Johnson had spoken. Um, very complimentary about Brentford in the lead-up about the way they play and how they've you know, got some players that are very elusive and it was exactly how it played out. They just couldn't get the ball and they looked knackered, especially the midfield. It was Walsh and uh, Corey Smith in midfield. They looked absolutely out on their feet very, very early on. Brentford had all the ball and really it should have been 3 or 4 nil uh, if it wasn't for some wasteful misses from the Brentford forward. So on that evidence... I can't see Bristol City doing it. They just seem that they're, that kind of done, oomph had gone. Yeah, they they do seem absolutely exhausted. Um, Matt, a brief word on Millwall. Briefly, they were in the playoff places just until they until Ipswich equalised at the weekend. What a hell of a job Neil Harris has done there. He's done an incredible job and it started with that home form at the start of the season and obviously they, they snuck very late into the playoffs last year as well uh, in League One to, to come up. But uh, yeah, it started with the, the home form and... <laughs> Beat Leeds, obviously, and ended there and beat them run at home at the start of the season. Beat Sheffield United when they were in form at the Den as well. And, and then they, they started winning matches away as well. And they've just had this momentum in, in 2018. But I think watching that game against Ipswich, after they took the lead, they really shot themselves in the foot, didn't they? And Jordan Arch has made a, a couple of mistakes this season. I remember one against Sunderland in particular. And you just can't really do that if you, if you are going to be in that promotion battle. I'll tell you what, the biggest game tonight, I think, is Bolton against Birmingham. Birmingham now two wins on the spin and two clean sheets on the spin as well as Gary Monk gets to work there. Joe Crilly from William Hill. We thought Bolton would be out of this by now, but they're getting sucked back in, aren't they? They are. Um, I don't think any of the teams at the bottom can put together a great run of form, but they are all picking up points. Uh, and, and Bolton, a, a couple of weeks ago, were, were nine points clear uh, of the drop. They're now just five points clear, which you'd have thought, all things being as they have been all season, uh, that would make them safe. However, um, with 
the likes of uh, well Sunderland. Well, no, maybe not Sunderland, uh, but uh, but Barnsley potentially uh, catching a Bolton a five to one uh, to be relegated. Birmingham evens and Barnsley ten to eleven. So it's uh, it's it's kind of very close across the board between those three with Reading on the same points, but probably safe. I suspect we'll learn a lot tonight. Uh, I just wanted to end on the championship with Ipswich. Um, because though we didn't call the Sunderland Derby game very well, um, I think we did get Ipswich very right very early on in the season. They are going to part company with Mick McCarthy at the end of the year, or possibly even sooner, because after that very exciting two-all draw with Millwall, uh, Mick was asked if he enjoyed it, and uh, he said, no, I've got to be brutally honest, there's a little bit of me that's died. I'm never going to tell a lie. I'm doing this for my own personal pride and for the lads. I've never been in a driverless car and I never want to go in one, but I would imagine it feels like how I'm feeling at the moment. I I think an early separation might be best there. Uh, Sam, when you hear something like that from a manager in the dressing room, um, what what does that do? It's difficult, very difficult. There'll probably be a bit of a, a freedom about the Ipswich play from here on in, but whether that's a good thing, whether it's going to get your results, probably not. It's going to be people taking their foot off the, the gas, probably. So I've got sympathy for Mick McCarthy and the predicament he's in right now. I think for all parties concerned, it was the, the right call. I think he'd taken them as far as he's, he could. And it's going to be really interesting to see which way they go. I know the Cowley brothers have been linked. I mean, if they've not been happy with the, the type of football that Mick McCarthy's been playing. It's going to be interesting to see how they you know, take to Danny Cowley if he was to get that role. I'm not giving him the gig because I'm sure the Lincoln supporters would have something to say about that. <laughs> but obviously he's got a very uni- unique way of playing. Whether it would work at championship level is questionable. Well, this is another thing. I've been saying the Cowley brothers to Ipswich for about a year and I was watching their game against Carlisle this morning. And um, yeah, they, they have big Matt Reed up top mm. and a lot of play gets directed to him. Their set pieces are excellent, but they're all very much, you know, they're, they're direct, they're clinical, they get the job done. Um, but it's not necessarily what I think Ipswich fans are are hoping for in, in the future, if they are hoping for a much more attractive style of play. Um, Matt, with regards to Mick McCarthy, um, it, it feels like one of those times where everybody's right. You know, Mick has, I think, given the resources, done you know, he's kept Ipswich safe, he's done a decent job. I think Ipswich fans are entitled, though, for their season ticket money to ask for a little bit more and it just feels like the right decision for everyone doesn't it? I think that will only really be proven by what happens next season under the new manager because McCarthy hasn't had a great deal of backing uh, in, in the last couple of years and he got him into the playoffs as well not so long ago so uh, he's done a great job there objectively but you can see yeah, why the fans want a brighter style of football perhaps but uh, I'm just hoping Tony Mowbray doesn't leave Black- Blackburn anyway well, he's been linked fortunately we do have Joe Crilly in the office uh, to tell us the odds for next Ipswich manager yeah so uh, Danny Cowley uh, who I think should change his name by deed poll to the Cowley brothers uh, is the favourite at 2-1 to one with Alan Pardew and Paul <laughs> Cook oh my god 4-1 to one <laughs> joint second favourites with Tony Mowbray 6-1 to one. Math favour six to one. Are you worried? Uh, I'm more worried about Alan Pardew going there for, for, for Ipswich fans. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back after the break, we'll be playing the fan league. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show in association with William Hill. For all the latest odds in the footballing world, check out WilliamHill.com or download the app. And if you don't spot something you fancy, why not tweet at William Hill using the hashtag YourOdds for your very own personalised bet. 18 plus only, be gamblerware.org and when the fun stops, stop. 
Ah, welcome back. It's time for the Fan League. Um, download Fan League from the App Store. You get slipped with 13 games. You just pick home win, away win or a draw. There are four championship games on the slip. These are going to be quite hard to call because there's still games tonight, including Fulham against Leeds. And we start with Leeds against Sunderland. Matt, hi. <laughs> well, I don't know how to call this one because as you played earlier, the Derby clip of uh, how we all back Derby <laughs> and then Sunderland went and embarrassed us. Uh, I'm going to go for Leeds though. I think uh, they'll, they'll put together a little bit of form between now and the end of the season. Yeah, I'm with Leeds too, Sam. I think there's quite a lot to play for, for for Leeds because people have been critical of Heckingbottom already and they need to finish stronger than they have been. Oh, having said that, I'll, I'll go for a point. It's a lot of sighing Pointing. and puffing out cheeks with these two clubs right now. Um, as there is with Middlesbrough and Nottingham Forest, um, if, I mean, anyone else, I just, I'm Middlesbrough, man, they, I really thought, like you, that they would burst into the playoffs now, possibly even put pressure on second. It was all coming together. Um, but, I, yeah, and Nottingham Forest are in such miserable kind of the season's end can't come soon enough. Nil-nil, surely. Probably. Um, I think Middlesbrough, like you say, found it difficult to break Burton down the other day and pretty poor defending, actually, to allow Sordell his goal. And I think Forest, though, they just... We watched them against Sheffield United recently, didn't we? And they played well. They got a point there and they were probably the more enterprising of those two teams. But lost again at Millwall and I think Karanka's probably looking towards next season now. So, yeah, I think this will be a pretty poor game. Sam? I have to go for Middlesbrough. Just, I think, when it all comes together for them, they, they're one of the, the, the best sides in the division, but it's just happened too few times. But, yeah, I think then home win. Well, that is four really big clubs in the Championship and none of them having a particularly good time of it. Another two very big clubs in the Championship, Sheffield Wednesday and Fulham. I thought Fulham, you know, if you'd have asked me a couple of weeks ago, I'd have said Fulham would probably breeze this, but Sheffield Wednesday appear to have kind of clicked and got it together. So I think a draw. I think... Yeah, draw probably for this one. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, three wins in a row and knew who in form as well. And having watched Fulham quite a few times this season and seeing uh, their defence, I don't think they'll like to be bullied around by a guy who's about six foot seven. Sam? I'll go for Fulham, I think. Yeah, just they're on a tremendous run at the moment and I just don't see them letting up, really. I think they've got a lovely balance and, um, yeah, I could see them doing a double over the Yorkshire clubs this week. Well, lots of confidence there from Sam. What about the last one on the slip? Uh, Reading, who actually won um, under Paul Clement, um, 1-0 against QPR. They are at home to Preston, who, <laughs> very unfortunate, missed penalty, better of the game against Derby and still came away with nothing. QPR were a bit unfortunate as well. I think they had 27 shots to five for Reading, so Oof. absolutely dominated that. But Reading, even with 10 men in the last 10 minutes, clung on and... I think that that will give them a big lift and uh, I'm going to go for a Reading win again here. I think that one's a draw if ever I've seen one. Yep. I think, yeah. Yep. I think right Paul then. Clement will be tight, won't he? Coming in there. He'll shore up at the back. He's very good at organising a team very quickly. Mm. I was quite surprised it didn't work out for him at Swansea because his first couple of months there were brilliant. But um, if he can just keep Reading out of the drop zone, I think that'll be mission accomplished. That's the Fan League. You find it on the App Store. Just search for Fan League. Right, let's have a look at League One then. Uh, it's open with the news that Northampton have sacked Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Now, our second ever guest, I think, on this show was Justin Edinburgh, who was sacked after four games at Northampton. Now his replacement's been given the elbow. Um, they haven't exactly stabilised the club, the new owners, after the takeover, have they? Well, they're out, the new owners. 
The uh, Chinese consortium, Five U Sport, have uh, been forced to sell their 60% stake in the club back to the Northampton directors due to what was a really vague reason of investment restrictions. So, uh, yeah, they've already gone as well. And Chairman Kelvin Thomas saying uh, there's nothing to worry about short term with regards to finances, a club that has obviously had a lot of problems off field mm. in recent years. Uh, but they do need to bring in a more sustainable model, uh, which obviously won't be helped if they do get relegated. Yeah, Sam, it's, it's not entirely unsurprising in a way. I mean, they hadn't won since February the 10th. And I've been banging on about this all season. But if you've got a midfield of Grimes, Crooks, and John Joe O'Toole, um, I don't know what the hell they're doing down there. That's a strong midfield. No, I completely concur. Looking at their squad, start of the season, and Andy obviously strengthened in January as well. And they had a bit of a boost from the new players that he he brought in. But obviously, the last few weeks have been dreadful. And I saw them against Shrewsbury. They got a one-one. That's their only draw, I think, in the last five or six. And leaving the ground, a few people were saying to me, that's the best they've been in the last few months. And I was absolutely flabbergasted. They've been that bad that evening. I mean, they got the effort on that night, but he tinkered around with the formation. They played a back three on that occasion. He played a four again yesterday. And there's been a couple of high-profile players that have been out of the first-team picture that have been brought back in. And I just think that shows that he's been trying everything to get the right formula in the last few weeks. But pretty desperate there. I spent a year there when I was 19 years old and our side was probably limited in terms of quality, but we gave a lot of effort and we managed to stay up by hook or crook that that year. I didn't see that same fight in in the in the current cobbler side. I think that's definitely it, as, as Sam said, and I think uh, discipline's played a part as well because we talk about the quality in, in that midfield, but the players haven't delivered as well, I think it has to be said, because when I went to see them against Rochdale, lost 1-0 against a relegation rival and they just offered very little that day. It was only John Joe at all really trying to create anything. And, and you look at Matt Crooks and definitely a player with a lot of quality, sent off three times this season, booked six times in his last seven matches and he's let them down, I think, on occasions. Yeah, I'm starting to think actually that because the last time I saw them was when they beat Southend really comfortably. I'm starting to think that might just have been Southend being crap. Um, I'll tell you who isn't crap though, Matt. Blackburn Rovers, two wins from two over Easter. Um, you must be very, very very weirdly pleased. I am weirdly pleased, yeah. It was a strange game at MK Dons yesterday because uh, we took the lead pretty early on and we had a lot of chances and uh, I said to my friend, no, we'll, we'll definitely need a second goal here because we're always at risk of, uh, of conceding and it was probably one of the most one-sided 60 minutes of football I've seen this season uh, up until the point when, when we're leading 2-0, Adam Armstrong scoring his 8th and ninth goals of his loan. He's been brilliant since Mowbray brought him in. But uh, then MK Dons pretty much dominated the last half hour and, and they played really well and they're a side that have put together a bit of a run lately to, to try and get survival and uh, you can see what Danny McKeeky's doing there. They uh, they play really well on, on the ball. They're constantly looking to try and get it out wide and, and get dangerous crosses in and we, we were relying on David Ray, our goalkeeper at the end, to make a couple of excellent saves. But yeah, overall, very happy, obviously. I know. I watched the game against Bradford on, was that Thursday night? That was Thursday, Thursday, yeah. Yeah, um, furiously trying to hex it for you um, with no success. Um, But the one thing that you could really see with Blackburn was they're all working really hard for each other. They're they're a proper team now. And that must be a strange thing for you to see after the last sort of seven or eight years. Absolutely. I think that's the the thing that Tony Mowbray's achieved more than anything else, really, is he's he's given... uh, 
the club its soul back and he's given that brought that team spirit back which we hadn't seen for quite a long time and uh, you've got you know from players like Elliot Bennett who uh, was standing captain on, against Bradford on Thursday night and he always comes over and do, does this fist pump with the fans at the end and there was this real almost like Dortmund-esque sort of uh, pantomime at the end of the game yesterday with the players coming over and doing their various little uh, interactions with, with the supporters and, and everyone was loving it obviously and we've lost once in 28 matches and Mowbray's done such an incredible job throughout the whole club not just on the pitch that uh, yeah if, if he was to leave at the end of the season I, I think I'd be very sad um, There's a really interesting piece in the Lancashire Telegraph today Sam asking is Tony Mowbray getting enough praise because of course Blackburn were bookmakers favourites to go up at the start of the season they, they have bought and they bought very well um, but with a club like that to manage and, and have them playing like this that's outstanding isn't it yeah big pressure and um, I think they're a team that's what Matt just said there and um, I think we can say that about the top three in that division I think that's what separates them Shrewsbury what a unit and, and also Wigan as well all departments but certainly with Blackburn Tony Mowbray always liked him easy to say that now but he seems like a very very easy fella to get on with I'm sure the players enjoy playing for him and um They've got the points. Wigan have got the games in hand. And I don't want to say it, but it just looks like it's going to be difficult for Shrewsbury. But I hope all three of those make it because I think they're some good sides and hopefully Shrewsbury can do it through the playoffs. Far and away the best teams in the in the division. Uh, Wigan did lose, though. 2-1 to Paul Cook's old mm. club, Portsmouth. Um, Shrewsbury, I, I think we will probably have a few people listening to this show um, uh, today, for the maybe for the first time, because it's a new format and there's nothing to look at at the top of the Premier League. People are going to be looking elsewhere for their excitement. And people will be looking at Shrewsbury up there in the table and going, what the hell's mm. happened? Can you explain it to anyone who hasn't watched them this season? How this team tipped for relegation is, is still plugging away at the top. Well, I know their captain, Matt Sadler, quite well. And I spoke to him earlier in the season and he told me why they were getting their success in the opening weeks. And it wasn't until I saw them that I understood exactly what he told me. Hard working, uh, units all over the pitch, a real desire and I think the manager and the coach don't have to don't have to do too much because I think the the players they've got good experience they they manage the dressing room really well those experienced guys and I mean the cut run the the games against West Ham just illustrated everything that was good about them you don't get any time on the ball um, and they know the system they play a holding midfield player and they play one up front uh, Morris or you can help me out here okay. Payne. Uh, and both of them, they don't get, you know, they're not going to get 20 goals at this season, but both of them know the job to a T. They get runners off them. They've got two wide players and the, the two hold-up players do a fantastic job for the team. They, they invariably just play the one. And uh, it's a system which is a little bit unusual ac- across the board, but it's worked wonderfully well for him. And they deserve enormous credit for the players that he brought into the club. And it's a lot of players that Paul Hurst knew from Grimsby. So lads that he'd worked with and that he could trust to do the job at the higher level. And it's been a brilliant story. And you just hope, well, I hope they can win the um, the checker trade uh, this this coming weekend. Yeah. Uh, and also maybe double it up with a promotion via the playoffs That'd if Blackburn right, are going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I think most of their fans would have taken that. One of their most important players, uh, Toto Nishala, a huge centre-back. Um, he was The game was held up on, on Friday. They lost to Rochdale. And the game was held up for 15 minutes. He was carried off with a neck brace. Fortunately, it seems to have only been a fractured cheekbone, so he might be able to get back reasonably quickly. Um, he's been very important, hasn't he? 
Yeah, he's been absolutely massive for them and uh, I think he was man of the match when Blackburn played him early in the season. I remember a lot of our fans were saying how impressive he was and they wish we'd picked him up. And again, and Sam said, a player that Paul Hurst has worked with before at Grimsbury, brought him in via a short spell at Hartlepool and uh, he's actually been linked with Sunderland. There was talk of Chris Coleman watching him against Wimbledon the other week as he plans possibly for life in League One, maybe <laughs> inevitably. But uh, was highly thought of at Everton at one stage. He's taken a bit of a circuitous route, I think, to, to end up at Shrewsbury because he was even in the Vietnam League at one stage. And uh, like so many players throughout the Football League, had his spell at Accrington Stanley as well. And Shrewsbury <laughs> have got Omar Beckles, another member there, solid back four, who was at Stanley as well. And uh, yeah, they've been superb. Yep. Um, further down the table, uh, two new managers making a charge for the playoffs. Steve Evans, Peterborough. Um, they drew of Rotherham and beat Northampton over Easter. Uh, they're in the playoffs now. And Lee Bowyer's Cholton, three wins on the bounce. Uh, Sam, there had been a lot of talk about... Um, I mean, I'd seen one thing on Twitter saying that Harry Kuehl had said goodbye to his players at Crawley to take over. It does appear that was complete bollocks. Um, Lee Bowyer's got to get the job now, hasn't he? Well, he's done remarkably well. Um, I haven't had a chance to speak to my mate Johnny Jackson yet. I tried to call him this morning, but he's probably still celebrating their third victory. So um, I think Jacko probably deserves a little bit of credit alongside Lee Bowyer as well. But um, yeah, doing fantastically well. They were my dark horses to get you know in the playoff shake-up start of the season. Didn't look like it was going to happen. A little bit too streaky, consistency a problem. But having lost Carl Robinson, you probably felt that was going to be the end of it. Uh, and Bowyer and, um, and Jacko are done remarkably well the last few three games they beat Plymouth as well I think recently so yeah they, they've put themselves really in contention I think them and, and Peterborough obviously they're going to be jostling for that last place Alright let's look down the bottom They uh, looks like Fleetwood are out uh, Rosie Swarbrick and the Fleetwood Weekly News said uh, John Sheridan was Fleetwood's own Harry Houdini four wins on the bounce and 51 points now um, which is very handy because looking at it down there I don't think 50 is going to be enough You've got Rochdale and Berry meeting tonight, and I think whoever loses that is, is obviously in a lot of bother. Um, MK Dons, you're saying, have, have improved markedly. We know that Wimbledon are a decent team. There's no way Oldham should be down there. You're starting to look up at Blackpool and Oxford. Just one point for Carl Robinson so far. Uh, we'll come to Joe Crilly on, on the odds for relegation in a moment. But Sam, if, if you were to pick four to go down right now, who would you go for? So difficult, isn't it? I think that's the the hardest division. Obviously, given what I've just said about Northampton, I'd have to say, you know, yeah. from what I've seen, just you know, that's just going on my own eyes. Um, I'd have to say them, uh, and you'd have to worry about Berry, of course. Well, they're long long gone, aren't they? Looking at the table now, that's eight points to make up on on Rochdale. I think Rochdale have got the best opportunity to get out of it. Just purely, they showed enough, you know, during those cup games, and and also knowing Keith Hill's sides. I think they've just got enough quality in Henderson, Camps, people like that to drag themselves away given that they've got some games in hand. So it could be a, t a tough end to the season for uh, AFC Wimbledon and MK Dons, if I can say that in the same sentence. <laughs> Matt, who do you think's going down? I think Walsall are going to get sucked in there. They've Ooh. obviously made a managerial change and uh, lost the other day. And I think... Um, yeah, I think they're going to struggle really. Like you say, 44 points. They're still a long way from safety. Uh, Northampton and Bury are definitely gone. And I still think MK Dons might might just have mounted a bit of form too late in the day to, to survive. All right, Joe Crilly um, from William Hill. What what are William Hill's top four to go down? If you're going purely on the odds, we're not actually accepting bets anymore on Barry, so uh, they are pretty much uh, oh. well dead and buried. Um, <laughs> 
Northampton are 1-16 to and MK Dons 1-4 to to go down. So they're odds on. And then it's flip of a coin uh, between AFC Wimbledon and Rochdale, who are both 11-8 to to uh, fill that final spot. Right. When we come back, League Two and a very surprising leader. My name is Matt Davis. You'll have heard me on the Totally Football Show and Gorilla Position. And for those of you who enjoy your talk about spandex screw jobs and cheap pops as much as your discussions of the Premier League, the Champions League and beyond, then here's some news to brighten up your road to WrestleMania. Ooh, yeah. I've hurled the jabroni who used to host the Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast through the barbershop window so that we can begin a new era. New guests, new music, new gimmick, new spandex. <laughs> Parts Unknown begins on the first week of April with our WrestleMania preview show. And once we're done reviewing it seven days later, we'll begin breaking down all the previous manias from 33 to 1 in our WrestleMania Rewind. Here we go! We'll also have interviews with WWE superstars past and present and analysis of the current pay-per-views. Sound too good to be true? Oh, it's true. It's damn true. So, if you enjoyed Parts Unknown before, consider this reboot the Ringmaster becoming Stone Cold, Husky Harris becoming Bray Wyatt, or Kane becoming the Mayor of Knox County. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast, from the people who bought you the Totally Football Show. Subscribe now on Acast, iTunes, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. Stanley, look at them go. Um, it's reported that they've got the joint lowest budget in the league, which I don't find too difficult to believe. Um, on Boxing Day, they lost 3-1 at Carlisle. It was their fifth defeat on the spin. And since then, they've won 14 of their last 16 league games. And those haven't all been easy games. Over Easter, the traditional Beecher's Brook of the Football League, they beat Mansfield away and Notts County at home. Those are promotion rivals. Matt, what on earth is going on up there? They won 2-1 at Luton recently as well, didn't they? To to leapfrog them at the top of the table. And uh, I think it's a a mix of of quite a few different things. John Coleman's leadership, obviously, knows he's been at the club for such a long time uh, via a little spell away in in Ireland. But uh, he's, he's really just brought in these players and inspired them to something which is just going to be incredible the thought of Sunderland going to the 5,000 capacity crown ground next season in league football (laughs) is just incredible to think of Uh, but it's it's the spirit that they've shown they came back against games against Port Vale and Stevenage uh, this year at home where they were losing 2-0 in both and 1-3-2 and I think after they missed out on the playoffs uh, in in 2016 they missed out on promotion failing to score against Stevenage in uh, in the last game of the season This, this year they've just been determined to, to put it right. Sam, nothing seems to shake them. They lost their goalkeeper, Aaron Chapman, in a car crash before the game, um, which thankfully wasn't serious. Uh, backup Johnny Maxted comes in, makes his debut, keeps a clean sheet. No bother. Another amazing result. And, and like you said, Ian, around teams that are you know, challenging for promotion than themselves. And if anything was ever going to suggest it's going to be their year, it's my old teammate Mark Hughes scoring on his left foot. I don't even know what he was doing in the 18-yard box. He's a centre-half. so um, And he had the wry smile as he jogged off, so it's probably a collector's item for him. Well, while it's all good on the pitch, off the pitch, controversy. Uh, owner Andy Holt is in trouble again. I don't know if you follow Andy Holt on, uh, on Twitter. Um, it's definitely worth a follow. But it's serious trouble this time um, because he uh, let slip that he buys all the players a McDonald's if they win and they have to buy their own if they lose. And the Football League have demanded an explanation for this as it doesn't appear to be part of their contracts in the bonus section. Um, 
I think this only goes to heighten Accrington's achievements because they're winning at the rate of two games a week. Two McDonald's meals a week and they can still run. I don't want to. I don't want to downplay their achievements because it's it's wonderful. But you know, I spoke to John Coleman recently, and he spoke about the players going in the bar after the game and having a pint with the supporters and pound a pint if they win for the punters, and that's what <laughs> makes this story so wonderful. Do you know what I mean? And and that's just adding to it. So it's absolutely ridiculous if there's you know anyone's going to be looking into that. I mean, there's a few managers that bought me a few cans of beers on the M6 and the M1 on the way home from victories over my career. So you know we're going to pour over uh, all these little bits and bobs that go on in the professional game. I mean, it's um, it's ridiculous. Maybe it's a this... nice little side plot, isn't it? Yeah, maybe this is the key though. Maybe Arsene Wenger actually set us all back like 20 years by insisting on pasta and nutritious meals when we should have been doing this. Um, further down the table, because everyone's below Accrington, uh, Luton Town, they came back to beat poor Mansfield. Uh, Carolyn Radford was in the studio last week. Um, they haven't won now since February the 18th. They've lost three on the spin. It's not gone well since Steve Evans left, has it, Sam? No, not at all. And you talk about all the teams in around the playoffs and the different leagues with momentum and, um, you know, they're really on the slide. Mansfield, they can't get a win at all. They were one up yesterday. Carl Hemming scored a, a good goal and um, Luton came out and had a really scintillating second half. They've done it so often, Luton, free scoring at home. So very difficult fixture on the face of it and, and so it proved. But it's hard to make a case for Mansfield at the moment just because they're in such decline. Uh, Matt, Luton Town, they look the archetypal absolutely nailing the division for two-thirds of the season and then struggling one foot in front of the other to get over the line. They'll go up though, won't they? I think they should at this stage. It's still eight-point gap, isn't it, down to Exeter. And uh, we've all seen what they can do in front of goals. Still scored 22 goals more than Stanley this season, which is just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and Stanley haven't exactly been shot shy. Uh, Wickham, they beat Grimsby, but everyone beats Grimsby these days. Good chance of going up. Yeah, between Wickham and Exeter, Exeter got a game in hand. Uh, I think it's five points at the moment, is it? And uh, yeah, obviously Exeter, with the experience of last year, getting to Wembley, I think they've got a great chance still. So Wickham have to keep going, really. Yeah, you expect them to beat Grimsby and they did it quite comfortably. And, and Gareth Ainsworth and Paul Tisdale, you know, remarkable jobs they've done at, at that level. So it'd be lovely to see them both go up. I, I do hope Wickham go up. I still feel guilty for that playoff with Southend. They really didn't deserve that. Um, what do you think? Top three staying the same in League Two? Accrington, Luton, Wickham? Yeah, in that order. OK, that'll do. Down at the bottom, absolutely enormous win for, for Yeovil against Coventry. I know last week we said, what's the point in Coventry going up? I didn't think they'd be listening and <laughs> following orders. Um, they're in trouble. Barnet, savaged by Stevenage. Sam Martin Allen's come in fifth time, mm. um, hoping to do a saviour's job. Did get a win, mm. and it's not going to happen, is it? Yeah, well, they improved at, at Luton as well and then obviously got the victory last time out. Akinde getting a couple of goals like we all anticipated because Martin Allen seems to have that effect on him. But difficult one yesterday, you know, a new manager at Stevenage and they've got goals. Newton, Godden, uh, Ravel came good yesterday as well. So it's a, a very difficult game against Stevenage, quite a local as well. So I think they need probably four wins to give themselves any kind of chance, Barnet. Um, I'm kind of thinking it's not going to happen now, but I'm sure they'll give it everything over the next few weeks. Martin Allen will be pulling out all the party tricks. <laughs> Swimming across rivers and all sorts. All the stuff you've never heard of and you don't want to hear about. Chesterfield then, three games in hand on Grimsby, just above them in the relegation places. And who have Chesterfield got this weekend, Matt? Grimsby. Hey, there it is. Um, that's a huge game, isn't it? And Grimsby looked terrible. 
they didn't look as bad the other day as they did when they lost at Coventry. We, they were shambles in that game, and uh, Michael Jolly must be looking at how Yeovil went and won 6 2 at Coventry and thinking, surely we could have put in a better performance than what we did. <laughs> but we've been saying all season that Chesterfield are going to get out of it, and they keep winning one and then losing a couple, and they beat Luton even not so long ago, and still down there. But those games in hand, it's a bit like Rochdale in League One, really. They, they ha- absolutely have to make them count, and. Uh, I think that they, they do have the quality and, uh, you know, Den- Dennis up front, reading midfield, they've still got enough. I still don't understand what they're doing down there. Uh, just to end, um, though also down there, Forest Green not really making the advances you'd expect given the, the reinforcements they brought in. Morecambe still scrapping away, but I think it is between Barnett, Chesterfield and Grimsby. But just to end, Swindon, new manager, Phil Brown, no one really expected this sudden upheaval. Mm. Five points from four games. Bit of a mixed start for him, Sam. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult now. Um, just consistency, too many draws. And if they'd have had Mark Richards since the start of the season, they'd be comfortably in the playoff picture, maybe even going for automatic. He's got 10 goals since the, the turn of the new year. Luke Norris got injured yesterday, shoulder. I think that's, uh memory serves me right, three or four times that's happened now. So that's not looking good. So they're going to be so reliant on, on Mark Richards' goals. I think there's been... A bit of a change in the style, not anything too great, but it's going to be tough from from here on in to make it. All right, Joe Crilly from William Hill. We all think the top three is staying the same up there. We think Accrington are going to continue to pile away. We think Luton for second. We think Wickham for third. Do your numbers back that up? Bizarrely, uh, Accrington are favourites to win the league, uh, but not as short a price as I thought they would be. They're two to seven, uh, with Luton still... Uh, knocking on the door at uh, at five to one, um, but in terms of promotion, Luton, Wickham, and Accrington at the top. Again, we're not taking bets on Accrington. We think they're as good as promoted. Uh, Luton as short as one to two hundred, uh, and Wickham one to five. All right, tell me about the bottom of the table. Well, Chesterfield have those games in hand, uh, and quite a few games in hand, and, and not very many points to make up. However, they are still second favourites for relegation. They are four to seven, Barnet one to ten, and Grimsby uh, just a shade of odds against at five to four. Football on the telly this week, Joe Crilly, uh, Fulham against Leeds. That one's tonight. Massive one that. Yeah, it should be a, a, a corker of a game. Uh, Leeds buoyant after a, a fantastic 2-1 win against uh, Bolton Wanderers. Fulham are favourites to win at 1-2. Leeds 6-1 to one to get the win away and the draw 3-1. to one. And then what a game on Friday night. Cardiff against Wolves. Uh, yeah, Wolves slight favourites for this one at six to four. Cardiff nineteen to ten, and the draw eleven to five. So very tight across the board there. Thank you to everyone who entered the competition last week. Matthew Heine was one of the winners. Uh, he went to Brentford. Uh, those tickets from the EFL and EA Sports. Uh, he had a fantastic day. He said he took a Russian friend who's in London studying. Um, his friend had previously been to Stamford Bridge and thought it was rubbish. The Emirates and thought it was rubbish. Old Trafford and thought it was rubbish. Uh, he thought Griffin Park was brilliant. Great atmosphere. Um, and he wants to go more before they move stadium. I think uh, we, we all endorse that strategy. What else? have we got from Twitter a Fent on Twitter says will a team have to surpass 52 points to stay up in League One this season Sam I think I think yes I think it looks horrible I'm actually looking at South End on 53 points and thinking we might only just be safe now 52 points he says yeah. does he oh yeah I mean it's so tight down there isn't it are we talking all the way up to Walsall Matt thought didn't he with 44 
too. Yeah. It can happen. I think Peterborough went down one season with 54 points. So, uh, yeah, uh, be afraid, be very, very afraid. Mark Canary on Twitter, he says, Norwich fans have all been sold the transition line, and in general, we're being patient this year. However, next year, we will be more demanding. How many games do you think um, Daniel Fark will get before someone hits the panic button? I think he probably has to be given another window. I'm really surprised that they haven't kicked on. I didn't, yeah, you know, I expected them to be in around the the playoffs. To be honest, I haven't seen them and and play very well early part of the season. Some good players, very kind of diminutive players, midfield, lot of movement. So I would expect them to be given another window, and and probably you'd have to say ten dozen games to start of next season to see how they crack on. He's going to lose a couple of players, though, probably isn't he? So it could be a rebuilding job. Madison probably leave. Oliveira hasn't really looked happy throughout the whole season, so it's going to be difficult. Very difficult. Well, that is all the time we've got for today. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Ian. Matt, it's been wonderful to have you here. Good to be here. Joe Crilly, it's always a pleasure. Um, Never we've, sure. <laughs> <laughs> we've got a new look show next week because uh, we've done all of those rambling histories. We've done all 72 clubs. Uh, it's going to be match-focused, not club-focused. So next week... Uh, tune in because we'll be watching Cardiff against Wolves obviously on Friday we'll be watching Plymouth and Peterborough in that battle for playoff places and right at the bottom Grimsby Chesterfield knife fight in a pub car park Um, keep it with us we'll also be watching the EFL Cup final between Lincoln and Shrewsbury Uh, I don't think anyone here will make any secret of their misgivings over the structure and ethos of that competition but Lincoln and Shrewsbury fans don't let anybody spoil your day I've been to Wembley with Southend for this it's amazing it's a one day in your life where it feels like football isn't pooing on your head so get out there have fun make the most of that day and thank you very much for listening and we will see you next tuesday the totally football league show is a muddy knees media production for sales and advertising please email us at sales at muddyneesmedia.com Listeners, you know there's more to football than false nines, back threes and deciding who's your number one number one. Game of Our Lives is a new podcast series hosted by the football historian David Goldblatt. It tackles themes like human nature, globalisation and geopolitics through the prism of the beautiful game. This week, David speaks to Shireen Ahmed about how women, people of colour and other minorities are challenging institutional bias in football. Shireen is both a player and a coach in her native Toronto. She's also the author of the Tales from a Hijabi Footballer blog and spent years working to overturn FIFA's ban on women wearing headscarves. March 1st, 2014, I remember exactly where I was at that moment. I was in rural Nova Scotia visiting my best friend Catherine in her home and the wood pellet stove was on and I remember looking at my phone and my hand started trembling. And I just had to sit down and she's like, are you okay? What happened? And I said, you know, FIFA is allowing hijab. She's like, yes, this is what we want, right? Isn't this a good thing? The Game of Our Lives podcast with David Goldblatt. Subscribe now. Subscribe now.